And we do look forward to that glorious day when we'll be with him forever. When I was, um, when I was in college, I went to college in Dallas, Texas, and had the privilege while I was there of teaching a senior adult Sunday school class. Um, one of the highlights of, of my ministry, quite honestly, it was an incredible group to be a part of. I really learned more from them than I did in those four years of college, so that was kind of tuition wasted there, if you ask me. But uh, one of the things that I discovered in this senior adult class, they would, they would often joke within the class and say, well, you, you don't really promote to another class out of here, you just go on to heaven. They would joke about dying and going to heaven and this life coming to an end and here I was as a 20-year-old college student and really, quite honestly, made me uncomfortable because I was thinking to myself, y'all are really close to this and you're talking about it like this and I just don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to handle this. And they, they recognized it as a reality and finally one Sunday uh, morning before I, I moved away from Dallas, I just, I, I, I just kind of brought it up to them. I said, you know, you all... You joke about death, you talk about death, and it's, it's, it's not something to be feared to you. It's not something to be reckoned with, with you. How, how can you talk about this in such a nearly nonchalant manner and just go about your business talking about death and dying? And there was one lady, her husband had passed away years earlier. He had been a pastor uh, of, a, of a Baptist church, and she was there in the class, just uh, one of the most gracious ladies I've ever met in my life. And while we were there, she said, Well, Dwight, you really have to understand, at this point in my life, I have more people in heaven that I know than I have on earth that I know. And I'm looking forward to seeing them again. And I'm looking forward to being with Jesus who has given me this life and who has saved me. And so it's not something that I fear. It's something that I look forward to when all of everything that goes on in this life, uh, suffering, disease, illness, struggles, when all of this is over and I'm with Jesus. And she said, so I can talk about death in a very real sense because I know it is coming for me soon and I'm okay with that. I've noticed that as people get closer to that event, they have less and less difficulty in speaking about it. The same thing is true with Jesus. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Luke chapter 18 this morning? We, we're picking back up in the Gospel of Luke, making our way through what this, this Gospel writer shares with us of the life of Jesus and what it looks like and, and what it means and what it means to us as well. And over the next several weeks, as, as Josh mentioned in, in this Advent season, leading up to Christmas, out of the Gospel of Luke laid out for us, we see painted for us on the pages of Scripture a beautiful portrait of Jesus Christ and the gifts that He bestows upon His people. And this morning we begin with the gift of sight. But let's go back just a little bit before the gift of sight is bestowed and let's see why it's so necessary. 
Luke chapter 18, look with me in verse 31. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Jesus is a man who is approaching death. He is a man that he is, he is leading the way towards Jerusalem, a man with a, a mission, a date with destiny that he has, and he recognizes it. The Passover meal is quickly coming up, and Jews from all over the region are making their way to Jerusalem for this Passover celebration. The crowds along the street were gathering larger and larger, and there's nothing unusual about making this journey. Jesus and his disciples have made it before. They, they've, they've made this, uh, this journey to Jerusalem at Passover time for this celebration. But this time, while he's on his way, he pauses to remind the apostles of what this is all about. And so he says in verse 31, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Jesus says, everything you've heard about growing up, Everything you've heard in the Old Testament, our Old Testament scriptures, is going to be fulfilled. All that is written about the Son of Man, it's, it's a messianic title. It's taken from the book of Daniel, referencing the Redeemer of Israel who was to come. And Jesus says, everything that you've read about Him, everything that you've heard about the Son of Man is going to be accomplished. And Jesus is saying to them that the Old Testament and where we are living now in this New Testament era is in perfect harmony with one another. Jesus is saying to His followers here, if you will pay attention to the prophets, then you will find in those words the prediction of what is about to unfold when we finally reach this climactic moment. Even if you go back and you, <coughs> excuse me, and you look at the pages of the Old Testament, you will find the prophets speaking of the Redeemer who is to come and all that He is to accomplish. Let's, let's look at just a couple of them. We don't have time to go through all of the prophecies of the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled, but let's look at just a couple of them related especially to this. In the Old Testament book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, the hymn book of ancient Israel, in Psalm chapter 22, we read this beginning in verse 14. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. 
I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. And you see fulfilled within this the, the, the very thing that happens at Jesus, to Jesus at his crucifixion and everything that he went through so that even as he is dying on the cross, as he begins to speak, someone says he is, he's thirsty, he's unable to speak because his mouth is so dry. And so they lift up to him on a sponge a, a mixture of water and, and, and vinegar in mockery of him. You see the dogs, the, the evildoers encompassing around him and how they stare at him and how they gloat at him at what's going on. You see his hands and his feet pierced for our transgressions. Jesus, the, the psalmist even goes on to say, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Exactly what they did to Jesus when his death came. And Jesus says, all that is written in the Old Testament prophets, I am going to fulfill. In Isaiah chapter 53, we see the same kind of thing. In verses 3 through 5, the prophet Isaiah says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? Sundown was nearing, and the Sabbath was about to begin. And so the Roman guards go along to hasten the death of those hanging on the cross. They would, they would strike the legs, breaking the legs of those hanging on the cross so that death would come more quickly. But when they make it to Jesus, they discover that he's already dead. And so what do they do? They pierce his side with a sword. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus here in Luke chapter 18, speaking to those gathered around him, says, Understand this. The cruel scenes that we are about to undergo, understand and know this. This will be in fulfillment of all that the prophets have written. And remember, this will not be the end of the story, he says, because on the third day I will rise again. It's not the first time that Jesus has foretold about his death. In the same gospel of Luke, in chapter 9, on back-to-back -back occasions, he tells about his death. In Luke chapter 9, verse 44, he says, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to de be delivered into the hands of men. And look at what we read here. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. They just didn't get it. When you come to Luke chapter 18, you find the very same thing. 
This saying, verse 34 of Luke 18, was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Jesus continually foretold, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, but they simply did not get it. They thought in the terms of the Redeemer of Israel coming in triumphant way, not in a suffering way, not in a dying way, but in a triumphant way to break the bonds of Rome upon. Them. And they could not come to grips with this king suffering. And tying all of this together with Jesus who was right in their midst, they simply didn't get it. Their notions about what Christ should be got in the way of who he actually was. Has it ever happened to you? Where you think to yourself, I don't understand this. It shouldn't be working out this way. Jesus should be doing this. And instead, this is happening. See, what happens so often to us is we make an idol out of our conceived notions of what Jesus should be like rather than bowing at the feet of who Jesus really is. So we step back at times and we say, why me? I don't understand. It should be better. Things shouldn't be like this. And all the time God is saying, I have a plan you simply do not understand yet. You see, we find this in, in Luke chapter 24. Just, just turn over a few pages in the Gospel of Luke there. and uh, I'm not worried about covering it right now. We'll, we'll get to it soon, but at the rate we're going, it'll be a few more years before we make it to Luke chapter 24. But we will come to this soon. You, you find a Jesus after the events of Calvary, after the resurrection, there were still some who did not get it. And so Jesus is coming along in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, the very day of the resurrection, there were two who were going to a village named Emmaus, and it was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all of these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Jesus kind of goading them on a little bit. Here they are standing in the presence of Jesus, the very one to whom it had all happened. And they said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Man, it's, it's the talk of everywhere. Everyone has been talking about this. And Jesus stops and he says, what, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of, Ma of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, he had even, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. All of this has happened. Jesus, the one we hoped was going to redeem Israel, the one upon whom we had pinned all of our hopes and aspirations, he died. And there's some women running around saying that he's alive and we can't find his body, and yet still they are living in the sadness of the fact that Jesus has died. They didn't understand it at all. <laughs> and Jesus says to them, verse 25, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe what? All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and he says, Don't you remember what the Christ would have to endure? Let me point you to him going all the way back from Moses through the prophets and let me point you to Jesus Christ, the one standing in their very midst. It's an amazing thing that happens. Jesus says, you're, you're, you're being foolish. You're forgetting everything that the prophet said. And then all of a sudden, we get to verse 31, and there we read, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he vanished from their side. It was God's way of saying everything that I have said about the Redeemer is going to be fulfilled and it's going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you can go back to the Old Testament and you can point out every bit of it. One of the greatest indicators for the reliability and the veracity of the message of Jesus Christ is all of those prophecies fulfilled in the old, given in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ completely and totally. No other one could possibly have done something like that except for God at his plan and this was the plan all along they didn't understand it they didn't get it at least not until their eyes were opened in fact if you'll turn over to Acts chapter 2 uh, this morning just just as an aside here on the day of Pentecost Peter stands to preach the message of Jesus Christ and again he goes back and does the same thing he preaches from the Old Testament that Jesus is the promised Redeemer the Messiah who has fulfilled it all and we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 22 men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, get this, understand this. This Jesus, verse 23 of Acts chapter 2, delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This was the plan of God all along. Before time began, from eternity past, the plan of redemption between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit established the fact that the Father would give His Son as a result of His everlasting love for mankind. And God the Son, in obedience to His Father, would voluntarily give Himself as the sacrifice for our sins that satisfies the right 
righteous holiness of God. And friends, this is why when Jesus was on the cross, he made that statement, to Tetelestai, it is finished. The work that the Father has given me is done. Redemption's plan has been fulfilled. Redemption's price has been, has been paid. And it is this that Luke is pointing to as the disciples are wrestling with it and not understanding any of it, that God had a plan. He told about the plan in the Old Testament and He fulfills it for us in Jesus Christ revealed in the New Testament. And Luke says, look at everything that the prophets have said about this man Jesus and you find it all there written for us. Believers understand this. I, I don't say this to make you feel good about yourself. I say this so that you might marvel at the grace and the goodness of God. In eternity, the Father planned that you would be His child. In time, Christ the Son died to purchase the salvation that the Father had planned. And today, the Holy Spirit of God applies that truth by giving His very self as the deposit of what is to Come, all planned by God from eternity past that you would be His and that Jesus would pay the price for redemption. It's no wonder that the hymn writer says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. But the apostles didn't get it. It was hidden from them. They didn't grasp what was said. They, they, they were, if you will, blind to what was standing right in front of them. And then, lo and behold, they bump into a man who is, in fact, blind. They just couldn't see it. And so Luke, Luke says, let me introduce you to someone who, even though he couldn't see, could see better than they could. In verse 35 of Luke chapter 18, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Such a beautiful thing that Jesus does. How he calls out to those who are the least, those who are the left out. The crowds are gathering together, the conversations are growing this man's condition is very clear, isn't it? What is his condition? Because it wasn't as clear as I thought it was. He's blind. He can't see. 
We don't know when he became blind or how he became blind, if this was congenital, if it was a result of an accident. What we know is that this man was blind. He was begging. He was a completely unproductive member of society. Forced to rely completely on the generosity of others. In fact, were it not for the place of of the giving of alms in the Jewish mindset, this this marginalized life would have been a very short-lived life. He hears the crowds picking up, he hears all of the hubbub going on around him, and he's listening. I've heard it told that when one sense is lost, there may be another sense that becomes more aware of surroundings, so that without sight, perhaps his hearing takes on a predominant role, and here he is listening, listening in on the conversations that are taking place. He he inquired about what all of this meant when he heard the crowd. Maybe, Maybe he hears one person tell the story of John the Baptist and how John the Baptist had been put in prison, and and John the Baptist began to deal with the doubts related to all of this. And so he sends some messengers to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, are you really the one who was promised, or should we look for another one? And Jesus' reply to John the Baptist is simple. He says, you go back and you tell John the Baptist that the blind receive their sight, the lame leap, those who have leprosy, are cured. Wait a minute. Did someone say the blind receive their sight? Is that what I heard? Or or maybe someone else is talking and they've heard the story of the beginning of the ministry of Jesus that we looked at in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus is there in the synagogue and He takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and He reads the words saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord favor and then we read in verse 21 that Jesus takes the scroll rolls it up and he says today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing really recovering of sight to the blind is that what I heard that Jesus does Is that what I'm hearing going on around me? And for the first time in who knows how long, maybe the entirety of his life, this man has hope. And yet here he is enshrouded in helplessness. So he does the only thing that he can do. He begins to shout out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. How often he shouted it, I don't know. But at some point it became a nuisance to the people around him. And how did the crowd respond? Hold your tongue, man. This is no time for a confrontation. Hush! But instead of withdrawing within himself at the rebuke of the crowd, the rebuke simply stoked him on further. And we read that he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. We we read the words of Jesus here, that Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Mark's gospel says that when Jesus commands that the, the man be brought to him, that the people look at him and say, hey, be of good cheer, he's calling you. What a turnabout this is. 
What a rebuke this is to the crowd. Here they are trying to hush this man. Here they are trying to say, listen, you're, you're the unproductive one. You be quiet. You sit there. You've got nothing to offer. You hush up. You hold your tongue. Jesus is coming through. And yet Jesus comes and he wraps him on the back of the head and he says, I want to talk to that person. The marginalized of society. Does Christ wrap us on the back of the head and say, I, I, I want to talk to that person? The same person we're happy to pass by on the street without so much as a sideways glance? Those are the ones for whom Jesus came. Not the ones who thought they had it all together, not the ones who understood it all, but for those who couldn't get it. Those who are helpless and recognize their helplessness. If you've if you've watched the news any at all in, in recent days, you've, you've been inundated with Kanye West coming to faith in Christ. Is it real? I have no idea. Only time will tell and only he and God know. But I'm amazed when I see that this makes the front pages of the news. And I think to myself, what about the beggar on the street? No less of a miracle that God would save that one than that He could save this one. What, what about the one that we fed lunch to at Good Samaritan Ministry who has nothing else but the hope of the gospel? What about the single mother at Agape Women's Services whose world is crashing in and everyone else has abandoned her? Jesus says, that's what I want. That's who I want. Jesus looks at this man and he says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And there's an immediate response from him. Lord, let me recover my sight. There's no him hawing around here. There's no hesitation. There's no, well, let me think about it for a moment. He knew exactly what he needed. Do you? Do you know exactly what it is that you need? He comes along in response to the question and he says, Lord, let me recover my sight. He knew exactly what he needed and the request that he made was evidence that he believed Jesus could do what he asked. Lord, let me recover my sight. He never would have asked it if he didn't believe Jesus could do it. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. He's cured. This, this man brought nothing to Jesus but his need. That's all he had. He brought nothing to Jesus but this great need that he had. And friends, understand there is no other way to come to Jesus except on the basis of your need and the awareness that He is able to meet your need. Such a wonder when you think about it, really. But before we finish, have we, have we maybe forgotten already the preceding paragraph that we looked at it a moment ago? What, what was on the mind of Jesus as He met this blind beggar? 
Just, just think about this for a moment. I, I don't know how much time you have for people, but I can guarantee you this. One of the hardest times to have time for people is when there is something overwhelming you in your mind. Maybe, maybe the diagnosis from the doctor, maybe, maybe difficulty at the office. But whatever it is, it's so demanding on you that you, you pass people by. And here we have Jesus under the shadow of the cross looking forward to that moment when he is going to bear in his body your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. Do you think that was weighing upon him? And yet here he hears someone shouting out. He hears someone call his name. And he stops because he hears. Friends, please understand this. Jesus still hears. He still stops. He still listens. He still saves. And all that is necessary is that you and I come to understand our blindness. Come to recognize the misery and the darkness that it brings and come wholeheartedly to Christ. Here here was this one occasion when Jesus would pass by this man in his need And on that occasion, he called out to Jesus. And Jesus stopped. And he healed. Friends, it's not my desire to be melodramatic here. But Jesus passes by every room of this, every row of this room right now. And he may never pass this way again in this way. And so if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. As the hymn writer said, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I'm calling Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. Father, this day, in this moment, in this place, there are hearts and souls that are blind. Father, we recognize as those two travelers on the road to Emmaus, their eyes are blinded to the reality of who Christ is. And so, Father, I ask today, would you, would you remove that which blinds people to Jesus this day? that they might see the Savior who hears 
who stops and who saves. And would you this day, Father, bring salvation to that heart which is far from you. Make them this day your child. Father, we thank you for the gift of sight. Not physically. Although we thank you for that, Father, more importantly, we thank you for the gift of sight spiritually. We pray that you would help us see the glories of Jesus in whose name we now pray. Amen.